Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. In Illinois, Governor J.B. Pritzker hopes a vaccine lottery will encourage more people to get vaccinated. And Chicago and Illinois have fully reopened after more than a year of COVID-19 restrictions. So how can we navigate this reality safely? Now, let's discuss those stories and more with infectious disease expert Dr. Mia Teramina from the DuPage Medical Group. And this week, the United States surpassed 600,000 COVID deaths, more than any other country in the world. For a medical professional like Dr. Teramina, that's a lot to contemplate. It's such a grim milestone, and it's far more than I ever anticipated in the beginning of this thing. Um, I would say, you know, a year ago at this time, I was hoping that we could stay under a couple hundred thousand deaths by the end of it. But um, it doesn't surprise me as we went through the fall months and how bad things were that we, we got to this grim milestone. And I think it's going to take many years to tease out the data and relook at charts. And, you know, we now know COVID was probably here even sooner than we thought, mm-hmm. and there's probably deaths that were never accounted for that we need to go back and look at and see. So these numbers are still going to have an asterisk on them for history to come to try and see exactly how many lives we've lost. And and thoughts are with any listeners that have lost someone close to them due to this virus and this pandemic. Yeah, that asterisk you mentioned, that is so scary, uh, Mm -hmm. that, that uncertainty. Well, this week, doctor, New York and California lifted most of their COVID-19 restrictions. It's been a week since Chicago and the rest of Illinois reopened. So how do you think that things are going so far? You know, states like uh, like New York and California and Illinois, we've done a tremendously good job of getting our citizens vaccinated. We've got, you know, over 70% of adults that have at least one dose of vaccine in. And most data and most surveys basically show that once we get to that 70, 75, 80%, we have a significant enough amount of sort of herd immunity, or if we're still using that terminology, mm-hmm. uh, that we're protecting even our much, much younger patients and, and those who cannot be vaccinated. So we've moved in the right direction. The numbers are not lying when we see our, our rolling positivity rate really going down and staying down for weeks on end. And and I think, and I'm optimistic that states uh, with high vaccination rates well over 50% into that 60, 70, 80% range are going to do very well with reopening. I want to go back to something you've already briefly mentioned, and that's that the National Institutes of Health came out with a study this week that suggests COVID has actually been in the U.S. as early as December of 2019. What do you think about that, doctor? So we have a globalized world. We have people traveling and going back and forth from one place to the other. We know that there were cases in China, um, you know, in early December. So we know that even though we only had our first positive case into January, that there was likely people that had traveled that had COVID-like illnesses in the midst of what is typically a flu season. And these are some of the things that are going to have to be re-looked at over time and to the extent that there might even be uh, lab samples that can be re-looked at and, and tests run to kind of confirm the timeline. We've been through this before with other viral illnesses, even in the history of HIV, for example, knowing that the HIV epidemic likely started long before we saw cases and and started to document cases. 
So as you said, 70% of adults in Illinois have gotten at least one COVID vaccine so far. Uh, At this point, almost 45% of the U.S. population is fully vaccinated. There are still pockets of unvaccinated people around the country and right here in our region, doctor. So what can we do to reach those areas? You know, it kind of goes back to the the boots on the ground approach. There's plenty of vaccine. uh, So now we need to get to the point where what are the limiting factors in getting vaccine into individuals? Is it truly just vaccine hesitancy or are there individuals that are, you know, in their home, homebound, want access to vaccine, don't have transportation, don't have the ability to get to the vaccine they needed and more effort needs to be getting into these communities and trying to get individuals that are vaccinated and moving the conversation point for individuals individuals that have been on the middle of the road that have wanted to kind of watch and wait and see how all these quote-unquote first doses of vaccines go before they decide to roll up their sleeves themselves. Now is the time. I mean, we we have nearly half of the population that's eligible for vaccine vaccinated. We're likely not going to get to that 70% mark uh, by the 4th of July, but we need to continue pushing through the summer. And even with vaccine rates falling, we are still getting vaccines in arms every day, and that's what we need to continue to do. Let's jump to the phone lines now. Craig is waiting from Batavia. Hi, Craig. What's your question for the doctor? Good morning. Thank you. Along the same line, I'm interested to know from the doctor if there's any additional information about those who have contracted COVID, say, in the last five or six months, who now um, are hesitant about getting the vaccine because they believe that they have some immunity from COVID um, based on the experience that they went through. And what would you advise those individuals about getting the vaccine, not getting the vaccine um, based on their COVID diagnosis, um, you know, several months ago? That's an excellent question, and you may even be aware that there were uh, papers and and positions that have kind of gone back and forth even in the last couple of weeks on this, meaning that there is data to suggest that if you've recovered from COVID, even beyond 90 days, that you may still have durable antibodies that are protective. Uh, We just don't know for sure, and we don't know for how long. So any suggestion that comes out, even from the medical community, that we may not need both doses, or we may not even need a single dose for some time until antibodies fall, is not an acceptable enough bit of information for me to say you don't need your vaccines. These vaccines are very safe, very effective, and there is no harm uh, present in giving someone additional boosts in their antibodies that they may have Uh, already gotten from native immunity. So at this point, the recommendation still stands that native immunity is is reliable for about 90 days. And after 90 days, I really would encourage anyone who's recovered from COVID to please go ahead and get vaccinated. Thanks, Craig. Let's go now to Barry in Highland Park. Hey, Barry, welcome to Reset. Uh, Thank you. Question for the doctor. So speaking with an individual who is an anti-vaxxer, if you will, This individual indicated that their doctor had told them that it was not a good idea for them to get the vaccine because they had had COVID. And in fact, with the antibodies that were in this individual's body, there could be some sort of reaction. And this doctor's claim was that you just don't know what happens when, you know, the vaccine is applied if there are antibodies and there could be some adverse effect to that. So my question is whether or not that's a reasonable concern and if there's any valid medical evidence to suggest that such a case 
is really something that somebody should take into consideration or be concerned about and not get the vaccine. Barry's asking a, a really good question. I got a text earlier this week and had to sort of talk to, a, as he put it, quote, anti-vaxxer friend of mine. So <laughs> go ahead, doctor. Fair enough, Barry. It is a challenging conversation because just like the previous caller, we, we have some natural immunity that occurs after recovering from COVID. This being said, yes, there there are anecdotal uh, reports and, uh, you know, even some data to suggest that if you get vaccinated very soon after your COVID recovery, you could have some side effects. You know, this is going to ramp up those, those antibodies in your system and you could have more of that fatigue and perhaps some fevers and, and just feeling unwell, which is why it is reasonable to wait a little bit longer after you've recovered from COVID to get that vaccine. You don't have to wait 90 days, but you can. At present, I, I try to reiterate that um, American Medical Association announced this week over 90% of all physicians in the United States have been fully vaccinated at this point. And that should go to show you that doctors should really be advocating across the board for the vaccines. Conversations really shouldn't be towards why you shouldn't get vaccinated. It's every possible way you should and why. So I would really um, uh, encourage uh, everyone to talk to multiple doctors if you have a doctor that seems hesitant. But if you've had COVID and recovered from COVID, it is safe to get the vaccine. And at this point, the recommendation remains that you should. Dr. Colds and common viruses, they're showing up now, especially among kids. What's going on? Uh, we are seeing them. I mean, the kids are getting back together and they're starting to enjoy some of their summer camps and some outdoor events. Uh, uh, masking is not necessarily required at all of these outdoor activities that kids are experiencing. And they are at far less risk of um, coming into contact with coronavirus because of the fact that adults, by and large, have been vaccinated and we're driving down the incidence and prevalence in kids as well. This being said, kids interacting with one another are going to get the same germs and same exposures that they got pre-COVID. So we are going to see a tick up in rhinovirus, enterovirus, metanumovirus, all the respiratory viruses that we typically see with summer colds. We have to be mindful and we have to keep an eye out for little pockets of, of COVID and its ability to spread amongst groups, especially with some of the circulating variants. Got a lot of people waiting to talk to you. Here is Nicole in Park Forest. Hi, Nicole. What's your question for the doctor? My question for the doctor is, what is the CDC's response to children experiencing heart inflammation due to the vaccine? Nicole, that's an excellent question. So we have at this point over 7 million teens and preteens that have uh, been vaccinated with at least one dose of vaccine, currently Pfizer. Plus, we have a number of teens and preteens that are currently in clinical trials for the other medications. Among those, we have had cases of inflammation around the heart in some individuals. Uh, we call that myocarditis. This heart inflammation, uh, the case numbers are around 300. So we are looking at a very, very low incidence of this. And it's important to note two things. One, individuals that experience chest pain or some shortness of breath consistent with heart inflammation, uh, usually around a week after their vaccine and usually in male patients, it's generally 
very treatable, it responds very quickly to standard treatment. And we also must note that COVID itself has a far, far greater risk of causing cardiac complications across the board in all age groups. So this being said, I follow the lead of the American Academy of Pediatrics, who does not recommend withholding vaccine from this age group because of the possibility of this rare side effect. But if you have a child, especially in the teenage age group, especially if it's a male who experiences chest discomfort after their vaccines, that should be addressed. What exactly should parents be looking out for after their child has been vaccinated then? It's usually about a week later, but, uh, you know, keep an eye on at any time, and it can be after either dose. Usually it's chest pain, right, uh, beneath the sternum and feeling a little bit of pressure and chest pressure, sometimes a little bit of shortness of breath when you try to take a deep breath or cough, and there could be some low-grade fevers as well. So any chest discomfort, especially in a teen, a week after vaccine or right around that ballpark, please contact your pediatrician and have a discussion about if or if not uh, some anti-inflammatories are needed for positive possible myocarditis induced by the vaccine. Here's Nora in Oak Park. Hi, Nora. Welcome to Reset. Hi. Thank you for taking these calls. I have two children under the age of 12, and my question was about what is the timeline looking for them to be able to have access to the vaccine? And then the second part of that is, are there going to be any changes for recommendations for schools in how they treat sick children or airflow or anything like that? Great questions. Um, right now, studies are ongoing in children, and really what it comes down to is they're looking at subsets of children from 9 to 12, from 6 to 12, from 2 to 6, uh, to try and find out where the dosing is going to fall for these kids so we can find out exactly what dose of vaccine they need in order to achieve the same durable antibody response. We're hoping September, October, we're going to be able to get data, hoping possibly even sooner, but that's really uh, where we're expecting it is September, October. And uh, once that data falls, then we go through those emergencies authorization steps. So hopefully by late fall or by the end of the year, we'll be able to actually get shots in arms and get these kids vaccinated. So uh, when it comes to looking at what public schools are going to look like, that is a very hot topic. Uh, we have private schools and some entities already stating that they're going to be mask-free and no quarantining and business as usual. We've got public schools that are going back and forth on the risks and benefits of continued masking, mask optional, things like that. The unfortunate reality is, is so much can change in the next two months before we start the next school year. And we will look for continued guidance from the CDC as to what the public school year is going to look like in the fall. It'll be much better than last fall. Probably not 100% back to normal, but very close. Let's hear now from Samantha in Brookfield. Hi, Samantha. What's your question? Hi, good morning. I'm about 19 weeks postpartum and about 14 weeks post my second Moderna shot, and I'm breastfeeding. And I was wondering, since they have found the COVID vaccine in breast milk, what sort of immunity can I hope to be giving my son while breastfeeding right now when we are getting into a time where there are unvaccinated family members who would like to meet him, who would like to hold him and spend time with him. Sure. Uh, you know, of course, obviously, it would be encouraged just like we encourage unvaccinated family members that spend a lot of time with our newborns to go ahead and update their tetanus shots uh, and whooping cough shots in order to 
be around babies. We would want uh, most people uh, to be vaccinated, especially those at higher risk if they're going to be interacting with our babies just out of an abundance of caution. That being said, yep, we do know that antibodies are detected in breast milk and we do know that babies are testing positive for antibodies after delivery, depending on the timing of vaccine and if they are nursing. So there is a uh, possibility that we have some antibody and protection in your newborn. We are not yet able to fully quantify that. So again, the primary way of protecting baby is going to be to make sure adults interacting with the baby are going to be uh, vaccinated and or wearing masks and, and washing their hands and kind of limiting that exposure time if they're unvaccinated and participating in higher risk activities. Doctor, the CDC has identified the Delta variant as a variant of concern. It accounts for 10% of new U.S. cases. Uh, There are 64 reported cases here in Illinois. What do we need to know about this Delta variant? So we tend to follow, you know, what happens in the UK and Europe. Uh, You know, it seems like the United States experiences similar trends weeks later. So we can see what's happening in the UK and that the Delta variant represents about 90% of active infections there. This Delta variant is more contagious, about 60% more contagious than the Alpha variant, which is our major variant that is circulating right now in the US. That's the original United Kingdom variant. And we know that it causes more significant clinical disease. What we also know, and Pfizer released some data earlier this week, it's day-to-day that we get these numbers, this vaccine is 90% plus effective at preventing severe hospitalizations and death due to the Delta variant. So these vaccines work very, very well and give us the protection that we need. For a vaccinated individual who's likely to have a full antibody response to vaccine, not immunocompromised, I don't think the Delta variant is going to be a significant concern. It's where we have unvaccinated clusters of people that are going to start interacting as their states open up and participating in large group activities where we will see pockets of infection. We will see clusters and small outbreaks of this variant, and we can only hope that it doesn't become such a dominant force as it has in the UK and what they're dealing with right now. Let's hear from one final caller. That's Kevin in Palatine. Hi, Kevin. What's your question today? I was wondering if uh, future influenza shots of course, everybody takes in the fall. Will that include some type of a booster for COVID? And if it doesn't, what would be the frequency of a booster if it's needed? It's another popular uh, the, one, Doctor. <laughs> it is a popular one. You know, all of that is being looked into, the possibilities of using combination viral vaccines, even before COVID existed, um, to try and protect against some of the respiratory viruses, including influenza in the fall months. So I can certainly say that uh, my anticipation is that will be looked at. When it comes to booster dosing, we still are thinking it's probably going to be around the year mark, but it not, might not be for everyone and it might not be every year. So, you know, we're still waiting on that. The study are ongoing right now. There's cohorts of individuals where they're checking their antibodies, uh, you know, now nine months after they participated in clinical trials. And we'll see when those recommendations come out. I would anticipate it's going to be our nursing home patients and frontline workers that are going to be the first to get boosted. And then we'll move on uh, with risk and benefit thereafter for everyone else. That is Dr. Mia Teramina, infectious disease specialist from the DuPage Medical Group. Doctor, thank you so much. Have a good weekend. Always a pleasure. Thank you. For more Reset interviews, subscribe to this podcast and please give us a rating. It helps other listeners find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Stay healthy, have a great weekend and come back on Monday.
Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience. I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.